We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. And so have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man go dominate. Boys, offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio, a special Saturday night edition. It's just one of those nights you felt a little bored, didn't want to watch any of those other Pac-10 teams play, oh sorry, Pac-12 teams. Mike's at home relaxing, I'm at home relaxing, kids are in bed, why not do a podcast? Why not go ahead and sit down and talk some Rams football? Mike, how you doing, dude? 
Doing good, my man. Doing good. Doing good. Even with the loss, you're still surviving. <laughs> yeah, still surviving. We got to, you know, with the, you, you got to, you know, in this profession and in this type of sport, you got to always take the good with the bad, but you're always looking for that, that golden nugget that comes out of some of these things that don't seem like they're positive. And I think actually there were. There's definitely more than the Tampa Bay game. Just want to point that out, right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And you know, and and by the way, folks, if you did not listen to the post game podcast, it got real serious real quickly and it actually became one of our more well, I want to say it's special shows. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that pod- podcast yet, go on, go check it out. Some three dudes opening up about what the game means to them, what being a Rams fan means to them, and how much it's more than just a win or a loss, especially with some of the things that go on in life. So check it out. Um, in particular, hearing Tommy's stories was pretty special. So, again, one of the rare times we mentioned past episodes, it's worth a listen. Go back and check it out. Also, don't forget that we are available anywhere podcasts can be found, especially on Apple Music. We're starting to get some movement in our contests. We up the ante, Mike. We're giving away a personalized jersey now to try and get folks motivated. And it seems nice. to be working. We've had a couple more reviews roll in. So, hey, check it out there. Apple Music, a five-star review. All you got to do is leave that review. Send us a screenshot via email at Rams Top 1945 Let us know that it was you and you're entered in the contest. We had a couple this week. We do want to read you some of the feedback on that as well. Uh, if I can get it pulled up, I will. But in the meantime, Mike... Real quick, I got to ask you, how'd your team do this Friday night? Uh, we uh, lost the bummer of a game on homecoming. Ended up losing a uh, thirty-three twenty. We man, we must have had six turnovers, three three turnovers for touchdowns. So we had twenty-one points that we gave up on offense, which is rare. Uh, but yet, you know, we had some. You know, you here all the time but i mean officiating is just you know brutal but nevertheless we still had an opportunity with a little over four minutes left we're down 20 to 27 with a chance to drive down the field we had just uh, made a big strike the series before got the ball back and uh the next play through a pick six to take it to 33 20 and then it ended up uh 33 20 on homecoming so <laughs> lot to learn uh, just going through a lot of tape today and it's just you know we got some young men that have to learn that you got to play within the scheme and you got to play fast when you are playing within the scheme so you know we got to be back to the drawing board on Monday but there are some good things we still can pull out of it so what's your team's record now so now we're two and four you know we just started league uh, and that was a big game so where our conferences go, we have four more lead games to get the playoffs. So right now, as I told them, we got to go up the rough side of the mountain because we need to win out 4-0, and which would put us uh, definitely in the playoffs at the end of the year. So now we just got to do what's uh, before us, and we'll be fine. So literally, you have to win all four remaining games to take that shot. Now. Yeah, literally. I mean, if we win four, it's, it's definitely shooting. And if if you don't, then you're going to probably be looking at, you know, who beat this team, who beat that team. And unfortunately, the team we beat last night 
we just, you know, you just can't have that many turnovers and short circuits throughout. And But the team we beat, uh, they play, team we play next week, they'll play that team at the last game. So if everything goes as, as we hope we went out, then that game will be one of those games that, you know, hopefully doesn't come back to haunt us on the, you know, who beat who and on all those things on on a tiebreaker, if you will. So uh, we somewhat had some things in our control last night, but uh, we got these young guys in this high school football. So uh, as I told them last night, coach, we got to do a little bit better in preparing and, you know, just getting these guys to be more freed up to make plays. So, you know, with a new staff, new systems offensively and defensively, you know, though we have some great players, we just haven't quite had all the buy-in that we need to get over the hump from making all those little mistakes that cost you games. That takes time, too, though. You get young, a bunch of kids who are used to playing one way. They grew up that entire yes. system, and now you have to earn that trust. So you know, it's, it's something that should take place over the course of more than one year in, in any sport. they got to buy in. They, gotta, you gotta, they have to learn Michael Stewart. You know, and now I, I'm, I'm believing they're going to see that over, as time goes on, too, right? No doubt. I mean, we've, you know, if you looked at us from the beginning, in other years, just as far as some buy-in, but when you have uh, a number of seniors who were on the team last year, played for a former coach, though we made some great connection and made up some great ground, you still have guys that are still somewhat buying in, if you will. And then, as you know, when things don't go well, you know, you get the mamas and the dads and, you know, those people to start adding in on, you know, other things that have little to do with the actual game. So that's kind of the struggle we're fighting now. It's just somewhat of a, I call it the hangover effect, if you will, you know, how we used to do things. And, and now we're just doing things differently. So absolutely. We're, we're just building blocks and we're keeping focus on the goal in hand and that's to get the this program back to where it was when I was here and, and what a lot of us drillers feel it needs to be in regards to just overall uh, mentality and, and just going out there playing with a lot of heart. Gotcha. All right. So there you go. Two and four. You guys will be there. You'll be back. You'll be there and ready to roll. So folks, that's what oh, we're sure. here for. W- as much as we love, I love getting updates on the drillers. You're not here for drillers football. You're here for Rams football. And on a Saturday night where we're just kind of chilling, maybe getting a little bit of hot cocoa out for those of us who are – it's a little chilly out here. For you, I'm sure you're at the beach chilling, yes. right? You're at the beach relaxing? Yeah, almost. Almost? Almost. Okay. Almost. Almost. It's still so, beach weather in a lot of parts of California, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. But so – in this relaxing atmosphere, we thought it'd be a good night to do a Q&A. We also do want to discuss a couple of things from the game itself that we didn't quite get to on Thursday night because, believe it or not, the three of us that were on the call on Thursday night, we on that phone call, on that show, how we recorded it out, it was just different. It was not the standard podcast we normally do. It was it was kind of a coming out of, of emotions for some, some looking back on, over the course of years and getting some perspective because, believe it or not, a 30-29 loss at Seattle, if you were to think about that two months ago and look at our schedule, I think more than half of us would have marked that off as a probable loss, considering how much we all knew Seattle was had improved in the offseason. And all of a sudden, 
folks will lose this game, they lose their minds as if they couldn't fathom that they would lose this game. They forget that Seattle's one of the hardest places in the league to play. So now we've had some time to put it all away, put all the emotion away, look back on this game, and think, okay, you know what? What went right for the Rams? What went wrong? And I guess that's where I want to start with you, is what do you think the Rams did better on Thursday night? Well, DC, I, I think they did something better of just fighting back, fighting back, fighting back, and giving themselves an opportunity to win. You know, overall, that's all you hope for is you, you get down to if it's the last ticks. Uh, obviously, you know, you like to have a blowout win that you're up three or four touchdowns and, you know, the game's in hand in third quarter, what have you. But, you know, we all got to keep it mind that you're playing against truly great players at a high level and as you just noted playing in Seattle brings its own challenges you know the 12th man as they call it and things like that and a short work week on top of that after somewhat of a huge back and forth game uh, on Sunday with the Bucks so put those things in mind and you're still right there. All you need is this field goal to take the win. And, you know, we just missed a field goal. Do you think that in the end, this will make the Rams a better football team? Well, it's like anything. You want to, as much as you can, pull out the positives because you're going to be able to easily see, man, if we just did this, you know, uh, things come down to, we talked about before, three to four, three, four, or four affordable plays that end up swinging the game. But you look at a guy like Aaron Donald, who still is unstoppable. He's putting pressure on Russell Wilson all over the place. And if it wasn't for his ability to escape and, and keep some plays alive, you know, that's a whole nother ball game. That being said, uh, you want to just continue to figure out where you're, you know, not making the best cases of everything. But you got to look at the big play that they call the penalty on Clay Matthews with the penalty uh, personal foul. I mean, that was kind of a huge, huge play at that that time to keep the momentum uh, for Seattle to keep the ball moving up the field. It was a, it was a big play. It was a huge play. Unfortunately, though, it was kind of a big deal in Rams Twitter, which is we don't – on this show, we don't talk about it as much as, say, on Rams Uncensored. Rams Twitter this uh, yesterday, Lindsay Theory goes on there and talks about how she's waking up to these these different you know folks talking about how the cost of the game and how you know we should go ahead and make a complaint to the NFL. Actually, her her um her tweet was much much simpler than that, but basically shaming Rams fans for acting in this way. And the weird thing about that, Mike, was I didn't see anybody on Rams Twitter talking about that. I saw a couple people on Facebook being on Facebook being knuckleheads about it, but Twitter, on social media in general, nah. Most Rams fans are like, "Yeah, that stunk. That's a bad call. We still lost the game. We had a chance to win. It stinks, but we still lost the game." So it kind of blew me away that that was a reaction from media towards Rams fans, LA media for that matter. LA media towards the actual fans in the area. Um, what was your overall view of the reaction to this loss? Well, you know, it's always 
was interesting that, uh, you know, many of us have an opinion about all kinds of things. And I think we, we continue to talk about it uh, uh, because we don't know what the game plan and what all those things are. We're just looking at a game. And then when we see what looks to be something that didn't go right or nothing we don't know you know offensively let's say did the other receivers actually run the right route you know did Jared Goff actually make the right read you know things like that defensively anytime you see a guy just running open there's a busted play somebody is either playing a different coverage or they just got beat so in you shouldn't see those things. So when we see those things, you know, it can bring a lot of negativity because ultimately we want to win. So it almost doesn't matter what happens. We want to win. So if the field goal goes through, then there's less ire and, and upset and disdain and disappointment. But when it doesn't go through, then it's like, oh, man, these guys don't know what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. We need to trade everybody and do all those things so yeah you're always a little surprised at how much people really get into it on the negative side i guess really negative really negative real quick but i can say this it was a lot more positive than it was for the Tampa bay game it was a lot more positive and overall also for this game i do want to just go back to something you mentioned russell wilson making plays uh, we've seen several comments in terms of the defense in this, this performance, they gave it 55 last week, although, albeit, Mayo is coming off turnovers, 30 this week. What's going on with the defense right now? Is it just you're playing good teams? Was it, you know, last week was an off week? Was it, you know, in this case, Russell Wilson making plays? What is going on with the defense? Well, I mean, you got to look at it. You you lose a guy like Indomitian Sue in the trenches. Uh, you, you lose the backers. You lose a guy in the secondary. So basically, you're still having guys, even though they're great professionals, have played and they're savvy, you're still having guys adjust to a new system and the guys as teammates adjusting to each other. And so that just takes time. But because things play together back and forth, whether it's the special teams, offense, and things like that, I I haven't did the statistics, but... I would say on average, the Rams defense is probably on the field on average a lot more at this point in the time of the year than they were last year. That would be my assumption. Uh, so when you put all those things together, maybe the Ram defense playing out there more, more, that gives the opposing team more opportunity to make strikes. So it just could be a number of those types of things. Well, the Seahawks did have the ball for almost 35 minutes. Yeah. Game. At least almost almost eleven minutes more. So, again, the idea is keep it out of the Rams' hands, if you will, because they have what has been considered a high octane offense. And the more chance you give them, the more chances, and the more likely that they're going to score on you. So, if you, as an offense, can sit on the ball, similar to what teams try to do to us against the Drillers. Again, this is not a driller thing, but so a lot of similarities in that, you know, we have a pretty good offense, except last night, turn the ball over forever. Uh, they're going to try to just sit on the ball to make less opportunities, you know. So 
I see that a lot happening. They're just teams are trying to do ball control. You know, obviously them and Tampa went up and down the field on each other, and that was just kind of one of those games. So I just think as they play more together, things will get tightened up overall. It will get tightened up. You mentioned Dongan Sue, and he's a, a many, many, many year veteran. Okay, I'm not even going to try and go back and remember how long he's been in the league, but he's replaced by a bunch of young bucks, a bunch of young guys who are still learning the speed of the game, still learning the defense, still learning everything. They're not veterans in terms of the NFL. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to have their issues, but also in the secondary, to me, it is one of the most talented units in the league. Two straight weeks has been burned. But in this case, I'm not thinking the secondary got burned overall because of bad player performances. We had bad skating performances in this case. Marcus Peters took a lot of heat on Sunday, kind of find out it wasn't even his fault. Phillips took responsibility right. for that. Coach Phillips did because they made a mistake. And, and Weddle should have been there protecting on top. And so... We don't know. When we're watching the game, we're getting, everybody's getting mad at Peters. They forget just a couple weeks ago, he had not given up even like a touchdown the entire year. They forgot how well he'd been playing. He has a rough one last week, but everybody did. Has a rough one this week, but everybody did. Why are they having a rough one? Well, Seattle just imposed their will in this game. Seattle did exactly what Seattle wanted to do. They ran the ball well. They threw the ball when they needed to. And Russell Wilson, being the elite quarterback he is in this league, made plays. Sometimes you just have to give a team credit. As much as I don't want to give the Seahawks credit, they made plays. Sometimes it's not about your team being a failure overall. Sometimes it's about what another team does to beat you. I think we lose sight of that. Oh, there's no doubt. And that's that's why I said a little bit earlier you're playing an NFL team. So no matter how much uh, a rating list or, or, you know, a preseason poll says, oh, this guy, these teams, those, this, you're still playing NFL players. And you have to be pretty good to be in the NFL, no matter how bad they say your team is. So on any given day, if everybody's hitting or your team is hitting on all cylinders, offensively, defensively, special teams. You make some plays here or there. You get a play here or there. Next thing you know, you look like a Super Bowl champion. So, absolutely. So, these things, what I mean, when we're not in the meeting rooms, we don't know the actual game plan. We don't know, did Todd Gurley actually hit the right hole? I mean, we can see certain things on instant replay. But we just don't know how things are really supposed to be originally drawn up to play or work against a certain defense or offense. So not having that information, yes, there's a lot of speculation that goes into why a guy looked like he may have gotten beat or why this guy didn't make that play uh, without having that pertinent information on who's really at fault. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You don't know. A lot of times, if you know again enough of the game and know enough of the scheme, you could probably get down to two or three different routes that's supposed to be if it's a passing play, or two or three different running plays where they were supposed to go. You, you can kind of get an idea where it's supposed to be, but that's not always the case, especially when you're a person like Sean McVay, who uses play A, play B, play C to deceive for play D. 
And then you don't, no one knows because no one's even seen that play. There's a couple plays that he's done this year to to adapt to the whole Bears strategy, especially that crackback play he ran that no one has seen this year from them until a couple weeks ago. It's the nature of the game. You're playing chess. We've talked about all year long the chess game that's involved when it comes to the NFL. And we've been seeing it a lot in the last couple weeks as teams are are figuring the Rams out and the Rams have to turn around and figure other teams out now. And my bet is with 10 days off, the Rams will come home, play the 49ers, and they're going to beat them. That's my belief. With with 10 days off to recover and 10 days off to reevaluate and rescheme and get some serious film work in and just kind of get healthy, I'm expecting this team to be come back next Sunday and be exactly the team we thought they were going to be. And they're already showing signs, in my opinion. We... Oh yeah, the season the season is still absolutely early, and now you know guys will get some days off to refresh and do those types of things. You know, get healed up or just some days off um, to do something else, and then you just come back and refresh. Again, you'll get a chance to the veterans that are new to the team, new to Coach uh, Phillips' defense, or even Coach McVay's offense. You know, they'll be able to look at those things and say, oh, okay, this is where he is, and then you have breakthrough, and then everybody's happy again. And, for that matter, they get a chance to just sit back and watch other teams play, getting some real, real film work in and figuring out what they're doing. Time to rest. It's those three days, especially the coaching staff. The coaching staff, I'm sure, is not off. It's going to play out. The players are off. We know McVay sent the players home. But those coaches aren't going to be off. Sean McVay's not going to be off. Giving him a chance to breathe no. and actually think things through, this is a good thing for this coaching staff overall. So I, the offense itself, over 1,000 yards passing, sorry, 1,000 yards total in the last two weeks, I think that puts to rest the fact that the whole idea of the Rams are slumping offensively. Seattle's defense is no joke. Tampa Bay gave the Rams all kinds of problems. They still they still put up 32 offensive points, 40 total. It's just the adjustments now. It's just the adjustments. Get that running game going sooner. The, they didn't run for 100 yards against the Seahawks, but the 80-ish they did run for were efficient and enabled the, the Rams to be able to set up what they really wanted to do, which is throw the football. So I just look at this and go, a lot of positives, a few negatives. They got to tackle better. They have to tackle better. They have to pursue better. So there's always going to be room for improvement. But in a game like this, we just I think we just have to give credit to a team that beat the Rams. I And I don't want to, but for this game, the Seahawks won. It's just what it is. They won the game. Yeah, I mean, again, when you're playing guys who are on the other side, they have something to, to – to fight for as well, whether it's uh, more money on their paycheck from an incentive, whether it's more of an opportunity to try to get in the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl, or most of the guys, they do it just for flat out, flat, flat out pride to be on the team, represent the team, represent their family, represent their hometown, represent their college, and they just go out and they want to compete. They're competitors. So that being the case, the other thing is, why not be able to go show the world, well, we're just as good as that team that was in the Super Bowl because look what we did. We just beat them in a close contest. Sure, sure. 
And it's all those things. Not to mention one more thing you didn't mention. I can't believe you didn't mention this. They're division rivals. They don't like playing each other. They don't like each other. The Rams embarrassed Absolutely. them on the field two years ago. Embarrassed them. Won two close games against the Seahawks last year. This was big for the Seahawks. Now the Rams have to answer that. And I think they will in Los Angeles, by the way. I believe that. So, well, Yeah, and, and you look at just little things. That Seahawks team has a lot of coaches that either were at SC with Pete Carroll or from the L.A. area. So you got a lot of guys that know each other, even from the staff's point of view, as well as players. So there's always that hometown, yeah, we beat you, uh, rivalry thing that goes on. Yep. All right, folks. Before we move on, we do want to go ahead and give a shout to our sponsor here at MyBookie. Check out the promo code. Check out what you can do this weekend. It's all on you. Check it out. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva Paper Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. All right, so entering the mailbag. You ready? Ready for some mailbag questions? Ready. All right. Let's do it. First one here from Jonah at J underscore O-H underscore N-A-H. The defense seems to have several glaring weaknesses in the secondary. Which is the biggest in your opinion? You want this one? Communication. Mr. Secondary? Communication. <laughs> I'll Please, take explain. This. Communication. Please explain. Uh, I think, well, anytime, you know, I, I saw a clip where, you know, and I'm going back to the Bucks game, uh, Mike Evans runs a kind of stutter go, we call it. And, you know, Marcus Peters is explaining some something, but when you look at it, go, well, it looks like you guys are just all in, in man coverage and you just got beat. But, you have those things when you have a new secondary addition with Weddle, who's coming in, who's obviously been a Pro Bowl uh, player and still learning things and learning to play off each other. So biggest thing when you say communication is, hey, where's this receiver? You learn each other for the, the routes that you know that they may run based on the down and distance and all those kind of things. And if you don't know, or if it's loud like it would be in Seattle, you have to go to what is hand signals or eye signals. You just look at me, I'm touching something on my jersey or my leg, and now you know what we're doing. So you put all those things in, crowd noise away, new secondary players, even though they've been through camp, there's still some groin pain. So that can lead to you know a guy being open, that wouldn't be open because you guys have actually communicated what you're doing. You know, I got this guy, you got that guy, or you stay inside, I stay outside, we'll take the guy who comes to us, you know, things like that. So to me, I, I'm going to say it's communication. There's one more thing I want to add there, and this may get some folks a little mad at me because I don't actually think it's the secondary. I think what a problem we're seeing, especially in case where you have a moving quarterback is these guys aren't actually getting to the quarterback. They're putting pressure on them. They're getting there. But look what Russell Wilson did. 
Russell Wilson was able to shake some people free, was able to get away, make that big touchdown throw to lock it, made some other big throws on the run. You have to get him down. And the Rams were kind of come and go with that. They Sometimes they get pressure on him. Sometimes they would get him moving a lot. And other times the pressure was almost non-existent. You can't let Russell Wilson have that kind of room to breathe. You have to get to him. You have to be able to close down the middle of the field when he die. He just runs straight. He's gone. He wasn't running for sidelines. He was running, looking straight upfield from the pocket. Moving, evading, go, gone. And you can't do that. You can get away with it against a slow quarterback. You can't do that against a moving quarterback. And I don't. I, I know most people don't want to hear that. But tell me this, how often was Aaron Donald triple teamed in this game? How often? Absolutely. Yeah, and a lot. One sack. One sack, a couple misses. Lots of they got pressure on him, but you got to get him down. You have to get him down. And that was something the Rams really failed to do in many cases. They didn't seal the edge off. They they weren't able to break down and into the middle when he's going when he's taking off and they paid the price for it. So, I think overall they're going to be fine. I'm curious about the the the, the pass rush now, especially with Clay Matthews being out for at least a month through this broken jaw. What's going to happen? I don't know, but I'm not I'm not necessarily sold that it's the secondary that's a problem. You can only cover a guy so long. That's how it is. You have to get pressure on him. Oh, there's no doubt, and you make a great point. We're going to put you uh, as a Rams secondary coach. Yeah, you only have so much time you can cover the receivers now with such speed, such size. You know, it's timing on defense as well. You know, offense, they want to get the ball out in a certain time or under that time. Defensively, you want to be able to break and, and attack at a certain time as well. So, when those things get thrown off, whether you're on the offensive side or the defensive side, that can cause problems. But obviously, defensively, the longer a guy gets a chance to hold the ball or scramble around, the least likely you're going to probably make a play because he's going to run. He moves actually the field. Receivers adjust. And the next thing you know, he's throwing the ball through an open window, as we call it, and a receiver's catching it, turning up field, or at least getting a first down. So there you go. There's your, there's your answer to that one. Kevin Johnson at KingKJ1962. And go right to you on this, Mike. He asks, will we be seeing more of Daryl Henderson on the O? Because we can't possibly see him any less. Well, that's actually kind of funny. Well, it's so (laughs) right. Well, this is interesting. Uh, I know Chris Carter earlier this week on the show he's on, he was talking a little bit about uh, the Rams possibly needing to trade or release uh, Todd Gurley. So it's always interesting to get a former player like that to kind of put a guy out there like that. You know, most of the times everyone knows you're – trying to earn a living and as quietly as kept, you're always trying to get as most money as you can for as long as you can because you will be shown the door at some point in time. That being said, I think it's painfully obvious, again, something is up with this girly thing, and it's getting hot and heavy talk out here in regards to, you know, they knew the knee 
becomes arthritic and now this is what you got. You paid out those big dollars and this is good as it's going to get. Now, do I believe that? I don't know. But when you're here from multiple sources that he did everything he could to rehab and do things so he would be prepared. They've done everything around that they could to make sure that they're not, you know, overworking it, if you will. So he's effective for the season and as opposed to just parts of the season. But right now, it just looks like it's just not going to be something that turns out good because it seemed like we would see something more positive by now. You see, I don't really buy that. I mean, has he looked at himself? No. Has he looked at himself once in a while? Yes. Give him a little bit of space. There were a couple of really, really nice runs on Thursday night. That reminded me of how good he can be. And I know that you're saying, well, that first explosion, that maybe that's true. We haven't seen a whole lot of it, but we don't really have the evidence on that explosion. And the reason why is because he hasn't had a whole lot of room to run. The offensive line has been absolutely horrid. And so as this offensive line gets better, and I think they were better on Sunday night, I'm sorry, Thursday night. They were a lot better, especially after the second quarter. They really started kind of gelling after that Seattle rush in the second quarter. They started really playing a lot better, more close-knit. They ran the ball a little more. They got Todd Curry some room. But overall, this offensive line has not been very good. And it's and really impossible to make a real true blue evaluation on where, on where Todd Gurley is if you haven't seen him consistently running in the same situation where you've seen him successful in the past. If you don't have any running lanes, you're not going anywhere. He's not that kind of back. He's a fast dude. He's a guy who will break a lot of plays. But he's not Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders had an agility that was... I'm I'm not sure we'll ever see a running back like Barry Sanders again. Let me just say it that way. Who could be in total traffic and, and completely locked down. But his agility and vision combined would find a way for him to survive and move on and run and run downfield. You know what I'm talking about because you played against him. You know? Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And talk about I, not that I, kind I, of back. I, I still... So... So it's your opinion, D.C., that it's the O-line? When, my opinion is, on Todd, my opinion is, I don't know. I don't know yet. Because we haven't seen enough of Todd Gurley in the same situations where we've seen in the last two years in terms of open space to move and cut through holes. We've seen a little bit of this year, but nothing consistent and nothing that we know to be the old school LA Rams the last two years, that the, the guys that can open up holes through forever. Cause you're talking about his initial explosion, right? That's what you were talking about. Well, we haven't almost really seen much. They're catching him in the backfield because the offensive line's been so bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But again, a back like him in at least his early days. And again, he's getting a lot of hot and heavy, whether it's ESPN out here or radio out here. The bottom line is they're like, this is not the same guy he was before he was injured. So that being said, the combine reports that he may have had maybe a four year, five year shelf life in regards to the knee. It seemed like it's right at that door and that door seems pretty quick. I'm not sold on that yet. I'm not saying yes or no, by the way. I'm just saying I'm not sold on that because I still 
I need to see same situations happen. Let me, you're, you're mentioning things you haven't seen before. Let's bring you back. Let's go back to 2016. Okay, 2016 LA Rams, and during that season, Todd Gurley ran for. 885 yards on 278 carries. A 3.2 yards per game average. What's in common there? They had a horrid offensive line. Absolutely horrid. So the evidence is actually... I'm just... just, just, Let me lay it out there for you, okay? The evidence actually has shown, film-wise, that he is not the kind of running back who does well without that initial blocking. That's why I brought Barry Sanders in, because Barry Sanders was a freaking miracle worker, man. That guy could find holes in anything. He could find holes <laughs> in a brick wall. Yeah. Okay. Todd Gurley's not the, as good as he is, as great as he is, at what he does. He's not that kind of back. And I think in 2016, that's, there's evidence of that. The blocking, it, the scheme's obviously different, but the blocking is was horrible for him and even in late in 2015 when he slowed down it was the same thing we saw if you go back and look at film it was there was not that open gate to initially start the play and then he could break three that's what i'm waiting to see that's my case by the way well i mean hey that's what they pay lawyers for right the prosecutor defense person (laughs) but uh the bottom line is when you get the type of dough that Todd Gurley has gotten or received or will be receiving, there's going to be higher expectation on, hey, you have to carry the load. We don't care if you don't have the best line. We don't care if guy is hitting you in the backfield. We don't care that everyone knows you're going to be the feature guy, so now we're going to load up and make somebody else beat us. The bottom line is we still need to have Todd be able to make plays. Well, what are those? Well, the ability to, if you're about to get smacked in the backfield, a stiff arm, run someone over, or something like that. But Todd doesn't seem to me to be a guy that just wants to lower his shoulder and run someone over like an Earl Campbell. He's one of these younger players who – wants to, it would seem to play a long time regardless of whatever his knee situation. So having said that, I'm going to still say there seems to be something wrong, whether it's now mental, whether he had a little tiff with management, and now he's just kind of going through the motions, or if it's the fact that all these things, you know, are really happening in real time as we're seeing it. That's fine. I mean, I'm not saying that is definitely not the case. I'm just saying I need more evidence. I, I need to see more of the same kind of space that he had before, and then I can I, I'll I'll jump on board. I'll make I'll hop off the fence. It's, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence right now. That's what I'm trying to say. It's all it really is. And we had actually did have a Todd Gurley question here. We did. I can swear we had. We did. And. I'll have to... Oh, yeah, it was a comment. Please keep feeding Gurley. I came from Ed, Eric Dreyer. We'll get to his question here in a couple of minutes. First, before we do, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, 
Jim Hawk. Most of us are practically addicted to anything in Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history, they have a personal touch. Check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood Team of Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams with the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebound plays with Norman Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Sirs, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollowesteam.com or on Twitter at Hollywood's Team. It's available both in hardback, electronic form, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's also, I believe, in paperback. I love a good paperback, by the way, especially the winner. Check the book out, folks. It's worth your time. It's worth the effort to go get some Rams history done in your mind. Get it in there. I promise you it's worth it. Hall was seeing great glamour in the 19th East Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. Check it out. Okay, more questions. You ready? Do we need upgrades at the cornerback spot, or do we need a better pass rush? I actually addressed that, didn't I? That's from Alex Ash Reyes, and my answer is you're not going to get an upgrade now. You, you, what you got at cornerback is what you got. That's you're going to have the rest of the year. They would have to find crazy amounts of of cat space if they're going to go out there and get a guy like Jalen Ramsey. They would have to find cat space for pretty much anybody at this point. And quite frankly, given given their salary cap next year and the year after. And yeah. where it's going to be, it's by the way, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Okay. Yes. They don't have room to take on more guys. They hit, the Rams' number one job outside of winning on the field on Sundays is to develop these draft picks because they got no one else. You're not going to see them as active in the next few years because their core nucleus, nu- not nucleus, nucleus is signed long term and they're signed to big money and they're going to have to be very careful on the rest of how they're spending it. Am I wrong? No, you're, you're right on it because uh, this is the name nature of the salary cap this is the nature of you want to lock up your so-called top two three guys and it's going to always be at the expense of the the rest of your team so you're going to have these years where the offense looks really well and the defense not so much and then vice versa i mean so this is what you know the gms and owners and personnel people this is going to be the future that they're going to have to continue to navigate how to find those diamonds in the rough because you're going to always pay those top tier players i mean look what we did you know aaron donald uh obviously Gurley, you know obviously you know jared and uh not quite yet but you know all those things are already in the making outside of your middle of the road guys who you know, they want to get a pay raise as well, but that's going to all eat up cap space. So, yeah, that's going to get tricky. But, yeah, this is what you got right now. You're going to have to live with it. And obviously, you know, you're going to make adjustments. But last I heard, we're still three and oh, no, three and two now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're fine. So, they're fine at three yeah. and two. They're fine. They're, they're, their schedule right now sets up. To where they could be seven and two entering the Bears game. So I'm not, I'm not really worried about the Rams overall unless we see you know a major injury knock on wood. But just to back up one second, talking about the right. salary cap, just to be you know be informative here. 
somebody mentioned earlier about Todd Gurley, cut him, trade him. You can't. The dude's got a $34 million dead cap on him right now. Next year. That's your boy, Chris Carter. Right. I mean, come on. $34 million dead cap hit. Uh, Next year, $25 million dead cap hit. 2021. That's where you want to watch. 2021. He's got a $5 million roster bonus. He's got a signing bonus at $4.2 million. If you guys are hearing that sound, that probably means that Mike has been disconnected. We'll try and get him back on here if he's not back already. So we'll see. Um, what we do know, though, on that salary cap is after 2021, there's his potential out. It'll make it a four-year Forty nine million dollar deal and the only dead cap there would be four point two. Be four point two. So with all that set and all that in mind, you gotta keep him around at least two more years. Two more years. Twenty twenty one you could take an eight point four million dollar dead cap hit. In twenty twenty one. So technically technically if you really want to take the hit, they had, they need to pay him one more year. They can get out of it. So Mike, you still with us? We'll try and get Mike back on the line. Uh, sorry, he had to had to rumble on out of here. I'll keep going though because we're live. If we weren't live, I would cut it off. I would fix it up real nice and pretty, you know. And uh, that's not happening now. You get a part of our technical problems. You're gonna hear me calling him right now. Let's see if we can get back on the line. Love that beautiful Skype music. Let's see if he's back with us. There, there? we go. You disconnected. There we go. You left me to answer that question all by myself. I see that. Yeah, I just had to explain to our entire audience here that I, since we're live, I can't just cut it off and clean it up later. We're going to have to just leave it in because you're over there pulling shenanigans with your Skype. <laughs> exactly. I mean, serious. So you're back. I, I just explained that basically the Rams are stuck with Gurley at least through 2020. There's, just, there's a ex- somewhat expensive out for dead cap before 2021. And then really... After 20, 2021, there's a 4.2 million dead cap where they can actually escape at that point. So they're paying him a large chunk of his cash these first couple of years. And then after that. Yeah, there's no doubt. But that's why I think there's all this. Well, wait a minute. We have this hit or cap space that is taken up now. Like, come on, Mr. Gurley. Let's get in here and get some work done. So. And that's why I think there's something more to it because I don't see Todd being a guy who just was like, okay, I got my money now. Now I'm going to just be on easy street and not play. I don't see him being that type of guy. So that's why I think there's something legitimately going on because uh, he just doesn't present himself as someone who just like, hey, I got my money. I'm good now. I don't think he's. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I think you're. I, I think that really it's just a, a combination of things. We have these young offensive line who's still learning the system. You, you, you and I just talked about that. You know, there's a lot of things going on. We're going to find out. We're going to find out probably by midseason. I'd say at that point you better be locked in, right? So you, you, you might be right. You might be totally right on the whole problem. Uh, but that's. Drawing us back to our, our topic before, the question again was, do we need upgrades at cornerback? I'm saying no. Do we need a better pass rush? Well, the answer there is yes, but it's the same same way. You're not going to get it through free agency. You're not going to go to get a trade for, for a trade at this point. You've well, got to develop you, your guys. 
Yeah, and and technically, I mean, it's not like Jameis Winston can't scramble a little. It's not like, uh, you know, Drew Brees couldn't scramble a little before he got got hurt. It's not obviously we can see what Russell Wilson does. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're just playing these guys just sitting back in the pocket and can't move around because again. When you got a guy like Aaron Donald, who's literally every single down just havoc. Yeah, if you're playing guys who can move around, they can escape at least enough to throw the ball away so it's not a sack. But uh, overall secondary, yeah. I mean, the things with the secondary, you're going to always get the blame no matter what because we call ourselves the erasers. You know, the linebackers or the D-line can make a mistake. And we can cover up for it, but if something happens in the secondary, everybody says, oh, man, those guys are horrible. Yeah, that's, that's always the most obvious part of the secondary. To me, the pass rush is always key. It's always key. There's other questions here, too, that I think are really interesting. And we're starting right out of time, so we're going to try and move through them quickly. Eric sure. Dreyer, E. Dreyer 4356, says... Two TE says to start in Seattle. Do you think they continue that, that trend on getting them more involved? I would think that helps the O line and getting the run game going. Thanks, guys. P.S. Keep feeding girly. That's where we get the original one. You want to take this one? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we and we've talked about it. You know, at the end of last season, how to get these guys that are high, high quality, high caliber guys who can catch the ball, block, do all the things, and. It's only wise to somehow get them in there. That's going to open up the other thing. So definitely, you know, any run game is going to open up the passing game. So feed the girly comment uh, absolutely or statement rather is something that we need to continue to do. But again, I just don't know what is going on because it would seem like they already know that. I'm looking at this and thinking we've been talking about Gerald Everett for years and this, the the talent we have there, they don't. Ha- if they get these tight ends going, the Rams don't even need to have this huge 125, 135 yard rushing offense anymore. They could be they could get away with what they did last weekend, getting 85 to 100 yards rushing, and still establishing the run, because now you have every weapon imaginable. That's where I thought they were going to go originally. I went. When Sean McVay was hired by the Rams, he was doing as a tight ends guru and what he had done with the rest of his tight ends. And for the first couple of years here, I honestly felt like that was not the case. They had actually underdeveloped these tight ends. And now, look where the the running game was was without Higby and how much better it is with with him back in the lineup, A. And then, B, look at... Gerald Everett finally showing what we've all known this whole time he was capable of. If you can have this set of receivers combined with these tight ends, combined with a very deep running back core, all of a sudden, everything changes. It all changes for this offense, and you don't necessarily have to have that huge, massive run game you've had in the past. Those tight ends mean everything. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, and and so keep in mind that games are somewhat like a chess match each week. You're going to have a game plan. 
then you're going to make adjustments as another team makes adjustments. And so what you go into either the season or a game plan with, you're making changes all along and adjustments to try to get a win on that particular day. So one day, yeah, it may be let's feed Gurley till, you know, the promised land or the next day, let's hit the tight ends. The next day, hey, man, Cooper Cuff's a guy. The next day, Robert Woods is a guy. The next day, uh, Brandon Cooks, you know, or it could be a combination. Or we're in the screen game today, you know, or we're the deep crosser game today. So I think what's happening is because Sean McVay, when you come in early, they don't really know, maybe underestimated him, and then he lit him up. Well, now they're more prepared. Well, I'm not getting lit up by, as they call him, the Wonder Boy or what have you. So teams are just more prepared. You know, it's going to be more personal on a defensive coordinator. You know, I'm not going to let the young buck, you know, run all over us and throw all over us. So we'll be a little better prepared. All those things come into play. And then it's just the game. But keep in mind, we make the field goal. We're not even talking about any of this. True, and it was only off by inches, only off by inches. The next question here it goes back to Todd Gurley. We're not going to have the same argument, but <laughs> here we go. Stephen the OC at Finns LA three hundred. He said Keyshawn Johnson on ESPN LA hypothesized that the reason why McVay hasn't applied the run game much is because he wants to prove that JG just uh, Gurley, right? Sorry, no, J.G. Toggirl. What am I saying? Jared Goff. Jared Goff is worth the new contract. Jared Goff. Where was I going? I see G.J. I'm like totally having a moment there. Is worth the new contract. Do you guys agree? Curious to hear Michael's opinion on this. Well, you got to remember, my boy Key is a receiver. Well, what do receivers do? They want the ball. Well, a receiver is going to always think that they're probably better than a quarterback. Uh, uh, the guy in Cleveland who seems to have settled down, but nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, yeah, I can see there's some truth to wanting to make Jarrett the quote unquote leader of the team by showing that he's the one lighting it up week in and week out. But we see that across the board with the quarterback position. I mean, we saw that some years back when Seattle, you know, on the goal line, they're going to throw the ball, and, and they got Marshawn Lynch right there. So that's always going to be something that could be tossed up for speculative thoughts. But I think at the end of the day, uh, uh, Coach McVay is trying to win football games. So maybe there's a little little smidgen of truth to Wanting again, Jared Goff to not so much live up to the, the, the contract, but to be just the overall leader of the franchise. You know, I, I'm going to be honest, man. I I completely disagree with Keyshawn here, and I, I understand that you're going to have the receiver mentality with it. But that's not really what Sean McVay's built there in LA. It's kind of the culture, the whole "we not me" idea, the trust the process, the building up of the offense, and constant improvement. I honestly think that the answer just happens to be in McVay's personality. The guy loves to throw the football. He loves to throw football. And I think that when things stress him out in the game and when things don't go the way he wants them to go in the running game, he tends to get a little bit of tunnel vision. 
And that's all it is. Does it? Like, and this goes back to that episode we had a couple weeks ago. Well, even just a week ago, where we were hard on McVay in, in the Tampa game because they had really shut down the running game to the point, and we were saying, listen, you have to establish the running game. Even if you don't get very far at that running game, you still have to establish it. And folks were accusing True. us of acting like, you know, we know better than him. No, we don't know better than him, but we're also able to watch everything, and we're able to see what's going on from a different point of view, and that point of view is showing, listen, at this moment in time, you're just falling too much in love with one thing, and you basically made your team one-dimensional against the Bucks. You allowed the Bucks to do what they wanted to offensively by not running the clock down some, not establishing the running game, and getting your defense back on the field as quickly as possible because you were just pass, 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 go, go, go. People forget how much yeah. the role of your offense plays in how you play defense. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. So, I mean, that, that's just my feeling on it. There's one more question. There's a, there's a couple more that have come in, but I, I want to get this one before we go because it's a fascinating one in my opinion. It's a fascinating one. And there, there are a couple of ones we'll try and get for next time out, but this one just stuck out to me. If we didn't get to your question tonight, we'll get to it for um, the Wednesday podcast. But NFL S-C-N-E-E-R-N, the most earned, at the most earned, writes, should the Rams look at trading Brandon Cooks for a better wide receiver or some offensive or defensive help? Since Cup and Woods are clearly one and two, and Everett and Higby have a much larger role now, plus to pay $16 million to a third wide receiver and a wide receiver not able to catch the hard ones, He's talking about the uh, two Super Bowl touchdowns. Um, that one, I'm going to let you t- go go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't train Brandon Cooks. I don't know where that would come from. Because, from my opinion, he's a guy who can get deep. The easiest, maybe Robert. But you have a combination. And the funny thing is, when you're looking at offense and the scheme and things like that, there may be a guy who doesn't show up two or three weeks in a row, but it's because the scheme, he's doing the clear-out routes. He's doing the under routes. He's doing what we call the dirty work because he's opening up things to the other guys. But one point goes to needs maybe be mentioned is I think we can see how close Jared Goff and Cooper Cup are in regards to comfortability with each other. So now that he's back, you know, and it's almost, I don't want to say that's his best buddy on the team, but it looks that way. So he may be specifically trusting that, hey, I know where my guy's going to be. I'm just getting involved. So those are the kind of things I go with. Going back to what you were talking about earlier, you know, maybe what are some of the things and dynamics that could be uh, holding a team back from just hitting on all cylinders. And sometimes you have these perceived uh, ideas amongst teammates that, hey, man, you're throwing that guy the ball more than me. You know, why is that? You know, is that because that's your, your homeboy, you know, or what? So those are kind of the underlying stories we may not know they ever come out, but those could be some things that could be a little bit of a problem with everything working uh, the way it should. 
Well, I'm just going to point this out, okay? Because this puts an answer, an end to this question about Brandon Cox. <laughs> and, and the reason why I took interest in that question was because that, that is not the first time I've seen it asked. But the reality is this. His dead cap money right now, if you move him, is $36 million. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> well, well, maybe okay. not. Maybe maybe so. I now, mean, we've seen uh, the Giants moved a guy. Well, they moved a right? guy named Beckham, and that's roughly a $20 million hit, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Antonio Brown was about a $20 million dead cap hit. Right. In both cases, those players were becoming cancers for the team they were on at the time. I'm not, by the way, saying OBJ is a cancer. I'm saying in his situation in New York, he was cancer. Okay. So right. you're willing to take that hit, especially in the case of the Giants. You're not competing this year anyway, so you might as well just carry the hit now. The Steelers are trying to compete, so that hurts them some. But for the Rams, at 36 mil, next year 21.8 mil, nah, 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 nah. Sorry, that's not happening. The potential out that spot that spot track has for him is after 2020, and that's when it's a 13 million dollar dead cap hit. And so that's what we want to watch. Entering uh, after the 2020 season, we may see some movement there to either cut him or trade him. That's where I would be watching. So your your theory at the end of the day, not theory, but thoughts, is simply. Regardless of chemistry, production, if the cap is taking that amount of money, the guy is going to pretty much just be on the team. In terms of value or how much they, they lose here, they let him go. They can't do it this year at 36 mil. Next year, 21.8 <laughs> mil. We're talking finances, man. I know, but hey, man, you've seen crazier things happen. But I think the bigger issue or point needs to be made, who out there is going to be better than a Brandon Cooks? So that's that's where that that goes down, along well, with the money. You're going to get the arguments from a certain teammate of ours named Tommy who thinks that if you put a certain Josh Reynolds in that role, he's going to flourish. He honestly believes that. believes also that... Um, that Cooper Cup is pretty much the number one receiver on this team at this point. So I got to get you two on a show together and let you two duke it out on that one. Yeah, we may have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) The gauntlet's been thrown down. Tommy, if you're listening, dude. Well, the point is, it's kind of like you're saying, if you're getting the tight ends more involved, well, they're going to need more rocks. And Cooper Cup, he's, he's a possession guy. Still, now he could be the best guy. I mean, Steve Largent was one of the greats who did it out the slot. And, you know, we could win a lot of games with that. But you still need guys, as they say, to take the top off the uh, engine, if you will, and the motor or however it's at, uh, off the defense and, and get deep and run some deeper routes and things like that. So I think Cooper Cup being number one because it, I think it's a safety not a safety net, if you will, but he's a great receiver with hands, and he's great in his position that he's at. But you still need the combination of receivers if 
you're going to win the big game. Well, this is what I mean, it is time for us to go, but this is what I want to throw out there for folks. Okay? Yeah. And people aren't going to like what I have to say here because we fall in love with these players. There's a reason why the Patriots have stayed who they are for another 20 years. And that is when it got time to let a player go, yeah. they let that player go. And I'm, tell, I'm saying it now. What the Rams are building out there in L.A., they are now setting themselves up to pretty much sign whoever they want when they want on free agency. If a guy gets out that they want, they're going to always consider L.A. Great weather, a win, a, a building a winning tradition, a, a, a head coach who's young and, and forward-thinking. The Rams are becoming that spot, but they're also becoming that team that can't afford to pay everybody, just like the Patriots have been over the course of the years. They can't afford to pay everybody. So what do they do? They either say, listen, we need you to rethink this contract. We're going to renegotiate this thing out. We'll add some years on it, but you, you got, we got to pay you less per year. Or they'll trade you. Or they'll just cut you. True. That's what True. they do. They have built themselves 20 years of winning around this salary cap, not by drafting the best, because they haven't always drafted the best. Not by developing players, because they haven't always developed players. They've just been smart on, on being ready to let somebody go. They have not been, what's the word about it, emotional about it. They have not been, the days of you being an organization that stays loyal to a player for 20 years, those are over, unless you're a Tom Brady character. Even Aaron Donald, the moment Aaron Donald slows down and stops being who Aaron Donald is, I'm saying it now, the Rams are going to look to move him. Because you can't pay him that kind of money and expect to justify it when you're trying to win Super Bowls. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So, uh, I mean, I guess as they say, the story's still not finished. It's not finished. And so, the one thing I'm noticing, and I'll close on this, the one thing I'm noticing, if you go, if you go look at all these salary caps, for these teams and go specifically look at the Rams salary cap and where, the, and where they are in two, three years, they owe a ton of money. Something has to break. So you go and you look who has the potential out and you look at Brandon Cooks after 21, 2021, Todd Gurley after I think it's 2021. I'm telling you, we're going to see a turnover here in a couple years, much like the Seahawks did to reload. And the reason why is because you cannot pay these people. You can't. You just can't. And stay competitive. You're going to be a top-heavy team with nothing underneath. That's just how it's going to be. It's how it is. So it is time for us to go. You can find us on Spreaker, SoundCloud, Apple Music, all those wonderful places. I'll save those reviews so, to read this weekend for you guys. Uh, sorry, this week. You can find me on Twitter at DCApollo. You can find Mike at OneDuke23. You can find the entire Talk Rams team at Talk Rams. Don't forget our other podcast, Rams Brothers, Rams Uncensored, all those guys, butting heads. We're all week long, folks. Check it out. So for the entire team here at Rams Talk, and there we go again. He's gone. The entire team. This is Derek C. Paul saying, have a great one. We are out of here for reals.
This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.